Tonight, I am preaching from Psalm 69, and it has taken all of the, all of the listening ear I could give God for him to whittle me down to just the eight verses at the end of the chapter. I really want to do every bit of it. It is so good, but having taught on it twice and only successfully being about an hour each time, I figured I better give you eight verses tonight. There's this... There's this, there's this thing in the Psalms that I, I would like to see the church get a hold to, but I would especially like to see our church get a hold to. It's this, there's this thing in the Psalms where no matter what you're going through, there is some expression in the Psalms that can turn it into worship. You got enemies coming at you? Worship. Are you despairing so much that you feel like it would have been better if you had not been born. Worship. Uh, everything's going great. Worship. Uh, you have people you would like to see God kill. <laughs> Worship. <laughs> um, you're afflicted with sickness, trial, disease, persecution. You're caught up in famine, in war. Politics not going the way that you think they should worship. They're, they're all, it's all there. It's all there. You have some, some fear about the future. You have some expectation in the future. Worship, it's, it's all there. As a matter of fact, I, I find it humbling and interesting that the last words on the lips of Jesus were quotes from the Psalms. And I mean at the cross in his... Uh, in his crucifixion, his last words. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that alone just interesting? What was the hymn book of Jesus? The Psalms. What was the prayer book of Jesus? The Psalms. The church would do well to just learn that. Amen? Yeah, somebody's probably saying, okay, just wrap up and pray and we'll go home. We heard you. Ah, no dice, baby. Thank you, Donnie. You know it ain't happening, brother. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the most encouraging things I've ever read about the Psalms was in an introduction to a book on the Psalms. In the introduction. It's by a gentleman who was, basically he died for his faith at the hands of the Nazis, a gentleman named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran cleric and scholar whose faith didn't really get real until he was being tested by nationalism, until he was being tested by forces around him. He had just been sort of flitting around as a, as a privileged, upper-class person, and he really got serious about his faith when his faith was tested. Isn't that interesting? I won't read it all, although it's all worth reading, but I do want to share a quote with you all. from the. This is from the introduction of a, of a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the Psalms, and, and he says this. In Jesus' mouth, the human word becomes God's word. When we pray along with the prayer of Christ, God's word becomes again a human word. Thus, all prayers of the Bible are such prayer, which when we pray together with Jesus Christ, prayers in which Christ included us and through which Christ brings us before the face of God. That's, that's an amazing quote. In other words, praying the Psalms is praying with Christ. That's what he's asserting. And so you literally would use the same words that Jesus was using in his 
flesh, but it was also in eternity because he's the one who spoke the words outside of the flesh. The word of God being spoken by the word of God so that the people of God in their humanity may join with his humanity and in our humanity meet together with God and have our words taken up to God, which are the very words of God. It might be a bit of a deep theological concept, but if you really want to grasp a hold to it, just start praying the Psalms. <laughs> say, what did Tim say? What was that quote last night? Pray the Psalms. Purit. Exclamation print. Pray the Psalms. T-H-A-T is how you spell that. We need to get deep, neck deep, even over our head in the Psalms. We need to see this ourselves. It's here. It's deep. If we were to look at just this opening part of Psalm 69, don't worry, I'm not. Don't worry. But if we were to look at it, if you have your Bible open to it, you'll see this guy is desperate. Verse 1, he says, waters have come up to my neck. Verse 2, he says, I sink deep in mire. Uh, in verse 2, again, I, I have come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. Verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. Verse 4, he says, uh, mighty are those who would destroy me. Verse 5 says, God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from me. This man is in it. He's in it. He feels like he is drowning. Life is over him. And so tonight, I want you to see how thanksgiving, praise God, how thanksgiving can minister to your own soul, how thanksgiving can become a testimony to your neighbors, and how thanksgiving should be our testimony to the world. Psalm chapter number 69, beginning at verse 29. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Let's pray. Father, this is a good word. This is a good word because, just as Bonhoeffer says, I believe we are crying out with Christ here. Christ who has been pleased to call us his brothers, who has been pleased to dwell in our midst, who for the joy set before him, though he hated the, the, the cross, he despised the shame of it, he endured it. This Jesus has been in our midst, and has he himself cried out, and we get to cry out with him. In our struggles, God, might we see that not only is God with us, but he makes sure we're with him. May we see and understand with a, new, with a new mind that God hears his children when they pray, and our prayers do not go unanswered. In Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. If you were to take this psalm as a whole, whole, it would give you some big ideas. And I'm sort of challenging you to take it as a whole, to go home maybe tonight even before you go to bed and study it, right? There's this cry out to God that something is going on and the psalmist needs to be delivered. The psalmist needs to be delivered. Now, you've heard it said, you've heard it said that God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay, somebody read my mind. What am I going to say to that? Hogwash. Uh, you will give you more than you can handle. God can give you more than you can handle before you can even blink, right? Here's the thing. God will never give us more than he can handle, right? Because he's almighty. So you might get yourself in a situation and you say, God, help me. Amen? Anybody ever done that? More than once. God, help me. I've done this. I see I'm at fault. I see, God, that um, I've created this situation. I'm in desperate need of your help. Others will put you in a situation you can't handle. Did you know that? Right? Others will put you in a situation you cannot handle. If you don't believe me, go bear children. Go have kids. Your kids will wear you out. My children are the best I've ever known, and they have still made me go, God help me. Care used to leave me at home with them by myself on Fridays. God help me. God help her when she gets home. <laughs> there is in this psalm, though, the indication that there are enemies coming after him, and, and these enemies have put him in a situation where he needs the help of God. And so what we would see here is we would see the deliverance of God or the, the redemption of God. God has always got his eye on his children. But you also see something which I, I think sometimes preachers are scared to talk about. I, I'm not going to preach on this. Don't worry. But if you have your Bible open, look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. I'm not going to go here, but I'm going to go here for a moment. Look at what he prays here. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. He just said, God, get them. God, get them. Now, if somebody does wickedness, if someone does evil against you, what would be the best case scenario is that they would be made alive in Christ Jesus, see the error of their ways, repent, and be joined into the throng of the righteous. Right? But outside of them doing that, there is, there's nothing wrong for the child of God asking for the justice of God on the wicked and those who hate God. And so I would say sometimes... We need to see that it can be worship to say, God, bring retribution. It's always righteous to say, God, bring redemption. Deliver me. And sometimes it's righteous to say, God, get them. Okay? But I think it should always be a tension here of saying, God, save them. But if they're going to continue to blaspheme you, if they're going to continue to do wickedness, if evil is their lot, then get them, God. And I'm going to trust that you're going to get them. I don't have to play games. I don't have to be vengeful. I don't have to play the revenge game. God, you've got this. And ultimately in this psalm is the eager expectation that God's got everything under control and there will be restoration for the people of God. Now, that being said, I've given it to you in context. Let me speak for a few moments on these eight verses. First, I'd like us to see this. From a position of desperate need, the children of God call out to him who is infinitely able. I, I love this. I love this. What does he say in verse 29? 
I am afflicted. I'm in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I, I love this. As psalmist, he isn't just saying, get me to zero. No, God, put me on the mountain. Not bring me out of negative into zero. No, God, bring me to a high place. Bring me to a high place. One translation has that verse saying this, I am poor and sorrowful. I got nothing and I feel terrible. Anybody ever been there? I got nothing and I feel terrible. I don't have any resources and I'm also, my nerves are tore up. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there. I've been there. The psalmist here is crying out to God from a position of desperate need. Brothers and sisters, I would say that if we haven't experienced that, it's very likely we're not saved. I just see, is anybody listening? If you haven't experienced this sort of crying out, it's very likely you don't know the Lord. You say, where do you get this? Well, just consider, consider that God is always able. First, I want you to consider the good news first. I'm going to do this in reverse. Think about it in terms of the end of a prayer found in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, Paul has prayed and now he's committing this prayer to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, right? So God, uh, Paul is saying in his prayer, I'm committing all this stuff I just asked to somebody who's able. Do you know why I'm telling you the good news first, right? Because the bad news, I think, is most eloquently delivered in Ephesians 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And read those next words together, church. This is not of your own doing. What is it then? Can anybody see why I made that sort of shocking statement before? If you've never cried out from desperate need, then you've never come to the end of yourself and realized you cannot rescue yourself. And you never look to the one who is able to rescue you from a place you cannot rescue you from. The Bible says nobody can work for their salvation. So we all, in the barest of minimums when it comes to our relationship with God, are in desperate need. And some folks think they can work for their salvation. I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say it. You can't. I'm just trying to report what the Bible says. So if we, if we haven't seen what the psalmist is saying here, if we've never been this much in need, we may not be that much in salvation. We've got to come to the end of ourselves. My good works don't save me. My good name doesn't save me. My choosing baptism doesn't save me. My joining a church doesn't save me. My thinking, I want to say this very carefully, my thinking I've done more good than bad, that doesn't save me. I am desperately sinful, desperately in need of rescue. I need God. Now, here's the best news. The bad news is you're not able. The, bad, the good news is he is able. The bad news is you can't work your way there. The good news is he's able and willing. Able and willing. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but does anybody in here have a rich relative? <laughs> I, I've got, I think I've got a rich relative. Uh, somebody's in trouble after church. I'm not going to tell you who it is, Michael Tuck. Um, 
right? I, I've got, I think I got one rich relative, right? If I call him on the phone right now and say, hey man, I'm in $100,000 worth of debt. And uh, if, I don't, if I don't take care of this, they're gonna send me to debtor's prison until it's paid off. Well, I, I think I have one relative that will be able to pay that debt. But I'm fairly sure he's not willing. You know, like I would say he's a believer and I've been, I've been in local missionary for, 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 for many years and I've asked him to support me several times and he just has said no. You know, uh, no. I, I, you know, I, this is what he would say. I earned everything I got. Some of us have said that stuff too. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Where'd you get the feet? <laughs> they won't even your feet you put the boots on. <laughs> I mean, God gave you the feet. Right? So isn't it wonderful to see that salvation only comes by the Lord and I'm totally not able to save myself, but God is able. Somebody say amen. And God is willing. As a matter of fact, I, I love this good, good news. The Apostle Paul, speaking of serving the Lord, said this in 2 Corinthians. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Isn't that cool? You say, why are you building this case, right? We live in such an affluent society that many times we don't get desperate. You know, like, like if, if your internet being out triggers you, you don't know anything about persecution. Right? If people, people sitting out in the boulevard waiting for a biscuit gets on your nerves, <clears throat> you know, if that's what's getting on your nerves, that's a fairly posh existence. Amen? That, that gets on my nerves. I just want to confess. If it's you, stop it. I'm going to put stickers on all of your car and you're not looking. If I find y'all sitting... Okay. This sort of abundance we have, a lot of times, it actually can become our shame in a lot of different ways. One is we, we start taking credit for it and we forget to be thankful. And other times, secondly, and maybe worse, we get to depending on it instead of depending on God. And, and, and thirdly, we get to loving it instead of God. So, so, so it's a gift sometimes to realize you're in need of God. And it's certainly a gift to realize that you can't be saved without God, but he's able to save and he's willing to save. I want to use that to set the stage. This psalmist knows he needs God. And he knows God is not a zero-sum God. He has a glorious plan in mind. Not, I'm in debt, get me to zero. I'm in debt, put me on the mountain, God. Amen? That's our God. Secondly, even as the saints... Await deliverance. God is worthy of our worship. If you go back and look at verse number 30, he says, listen, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. There's so much I want to say here. I'm going to rein myself in and say two very quick and simple things. First, first is this. God's promise is that he is going to reconcile all of creation to himself. Everything. Look at your neighbor and say, everything. Everything, y'all. 
I mean, what's everything? It's everything. You know, has anybody seen these commercials on TV where people get to arguing and they, they throw a flag and somebody brings out a camera and, and, or a TV and shows them who, who was right? Who was right? I love those commercials, right? I, I feel like it'll be in heaven. <laughs> we'll be surprised by how God brings it all together. Joyfully surprised, right? And uh, I think we're going to get to see how it all came together after the fact. And it's going to be awesome. And you're like, wait a minute. Whew. God, how'd you do this? Can I throw a red flag? Can we get a replay? <laughs> how, did, how did you bring this terrible situation into righteousness and rightness and reconciliation? How did you get glory out of this? This is wild, God. Can you show me how you did that? I, th- I think it's, we're going to be able to see it somehow. But right now, we're trusting that his word is true, his promise is real, his power is at work. And so he, he says here, I'll praise you. He just said, I, my, I'm in pain, I'm afflicted, I'm, I need deliverance. I'm still going to praise you. Right? We got a culture where it's constantly telling us you need something else. God is saying, I know you need something else. I'm worthy of your praise anyway. Amen? A very, very, very quick story is the second thing I'll share on this. In Daniel chapter 3, you guys know this story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys don't like how they're living, and they jam them up by getting, you know, trying to get them in trouble for not bowing down at an idol. And this is the condensed version now. <clears throat> this, is, this is the authorities speaking to them. And he says this, now if, you're re- now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, I love that reply. It's awesome. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is what, church? Able to what? Now, this is when it really gets good. He's able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you know what they just said? He can pull us out of the fire. Amen, church? And, and you, do you remember he doesn't pull them out of the fire? He stands with them in it. But what they are basically, not basically, what they are saying is he will deliver us out of your hand. This might kill us. Hallelujah. We're going to be delivered out of your hand. See, see, this is what robs our joy sometimes, right? We think deliverance only pertains to us getting comfortable right now. Sometimes, remember Revelation 13, who remembers? Sometimes he'll say things like this to his church. He'll say, hey, they're going to put you in jail. Okay, go to jail. They're going to kill you. Okay, you're dead. Anybody remember what came next in that verse? It's the last verse of Revelation 13. I write this to encourage the church. Wait a minute, how does that encourage me? It encourages us because no jail can hold a saint through eternity. Now, I say that very carefully. No jail can hold a saint through eternity. 
there's a jail for in eternity for the non-sainted. What's that jail called? Hell, see how you already knew that? No grave can hold the saint in eternity. Hallelujah. But there's a grave that is forever. It's living death forever in hell. Isn't this good? So the psalmist writes in verse 30. He says, listen, listen, I'm going to praise you. You know, here I am. I'm all toe up. I'm in pain. I'm in prison. Things are not going right. I'm going to praise you anyway, Lord. I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to magnify your name with thanksgiving. That means he makes God's name bigger. No, he makes God's name bigger. He makes God's name bigger in the hearing of those who see the situation and can still see this saint praising God. Now, I was texting somebody just today. I was texting somebody just today. And they, they told me of a, of a very difficult situation. I'm not going to name this person. I don't have permission to name them. They, they, they said, uh, they said they've, uh, they've had two shots and four injections and five surgeries on one of their eyes in the last two months. I was like, whoa. And, and listen, I'm going to read to you exactly what I said. I said, I said, oh, my, you have really gone through a lot. And they said, yes, sir, all in two months. But my motto is, this is what they say, you're going to like this. I do not need my eyes to see just how good God has been to me. I was like, sermon illustration. My notes were already printed when I had this text conversation. I ought to just put it in my notes. Isn't that good? There's some, there's some fear, there's some uncertainty about this person's eyes, but their outlook is better than mine. I don't need my eyes to see that God's been good to me. Isn't that good, church? Right? Do you, do you need everything to be okay in your life to see how good God is? Just a little bit of struggle will rob us of a whole lot of thanksgiving. And when we stop giving thanks, it ruins our witness. Because if we say we've got the best that there is, we've got a relationship with the living God, then we've always got something worthy of thanksgiving. Thirdly and quickly, joy in our worthy God is a better offering than smoke from the altar. Now, you say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. Go back and look at verses 31 and 32 very quickly. He says this, this will please the Lord more than an ox. What will? If I magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, that will please the Lord more than an ox. Now, I saw this great meme this past weekend. He's like, you know, turkey's great and I'm real happy for the Puritans and all that, but how couldn't they have run into a 1,600-pound cow right before they gave thanks? The implication is it would have been better to be having steaks every year on Thanksgiving than to have turkey. Um, I was like, man, never thought of that. Need a time machine. We could fix all this turkey mess, you know. We'd be mooing instead of gobbling. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving puts a brag on God. And a lot of times we think these other things put a brag on God. Oh, look, I gave a lot of money. Cool. Great. Great. What's funny is we're actually told to be sort of quiet and humble about our giving 
but we're told to be kind of loud about our gratitude. Woo! I just said something. Tweet that, y'all. Some of y'all young people tweet that. X that, or whatever you call it these days. <laughs> Do something with it. Snapogram it. Yeah. I, I love this, and I think we get it mixed up a lot of times. Now, I can tell you this story, right? I can tell you a bunch of stories. I had them all in my notes. I took them all out about three o'clock this afternoon because I, was, I, was, I had too much. There's a story of the ten lepers. I, a lot of people say uh, only, only, only uh, one of them got healed. No, they all got healed. A lot of people say only one of them was thankful. No, all of them were thankful, right? How do I know? If something that good happened to you, if you won the lottery, you'd go home and see your family and be so, so glad it happened. But only one returned and thanked the source. That's what we know, right? If you read the book of Romans, chapter 1, says, listen, they knew God. They just didn't thank him. Thanksgiving is more critical to your Christian life than you realize. It engenders joy within, and it engenders testimony without, and God is just worthy of it. And gratitude from the lips is better than an ox on the altar. I'll tell you what's really good. Get your friends together. Cook the ox, and y'all take turns giving thanks to God. Now, that's a party. That's a party. There's a lot of places where this is mentioned, but just consider this one. Psalm 50, verses 13 through 15. God is asking this question through the psalmist. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Look at how much is wrapped up in thanksgiving. God's like, do I need a prime rib? No, I need a prime rib. God doesn't need a prime rib. What is God telling you he really wants you to sacrifice? Thanksgiving. Fourthly, quickly, our ever-loving father has an ever-listening ear to his children's pleas. Now, the onus here is on God. It's on God. Verse 33 tells us this, for the Lord hears the needy. Somebody say amen. The Lord hears the needy. I'll never forget, we were, uh, the girls were, were real little, but Katie hasn't, hadn't started school. The reason I can remember this is because they were both at home with me. And uh, Rachel was, uh, was, was always this little kid. She, she would sit in her room, and she could play with, like, Holly Pocket, Polly Pockets, something. They were something. For hours on end by herself, she would be whispering, all these little worlds being created in there. And, and, uh, and Katie, I know y'all going to find it hard to believe that she was very talkative. She would talk more by 9 o'clock on those days than I could listen for the rest of the day. And I always had, in those early days, I was, I was in school, in college, and in seminary, and I always had something to do. And it was, it was not a sacrifice to take those days off for them. It was just sacrifice. It was hard to take time off. I always had too much to do. It was hard. And I'll never forget one day, Katie, Katie taking her little fingers and putting them right here and turning, and she said, this is, Daddy, listen to me with your face. I just wanted to cry. It was embarrassing. She, she knew. If I wasn't looking at her, I wasn't listening to her. She was a little bitty, and, and, and she, was just, she was just dialed in. 
I, I sometimes wish you knew how much your father's face was upon you. He doesn't miss a trick. I just wish you could see that. <laughs> Maybe God would say to us, speak to me with your heart. I, I, I'm listening, okay? I, I'm listening. This is a reverse scenario. It's not the little kid needing the father to delight. The father already dances over his children in this case. It's his children who are playing with mud pies when the king who made the beaches is offering himself to them. He's listening. Now, I go back to the same passage. I won't read it again, but I used this passage last week from Luke, Luke chapter 11. On the, on, the, on the tail, on the, on the, at the end of teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Jesus adds this, okay? He's like, evil dads know how to answer your requests. And they're evil in comparison to God. I know some of y'all are going, my children better be going. My dad's not evil. But compared to God, like, I am far closer to Hitler than I am to God. Yes. I'm far closer to... I, I'm, I'm sorry that shocks you, my friend, but I'm far closer to Stalin, Hitler... Mount Satan, I'm far closer to Jack the Ripper than I am to God. If you put it on a scale, I'm nowhere near his holiness. Right? And so think about that. He says, hey, your dad, who is far, 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 far away from the holiness of your heavenly father, your dad knows how to answer your questions well. Amen. If you got a good dad, say amen. You're, you, got a, you, got, you, got a, you got a father. And maybe if you compare him to, say, an absent earthly father, you might have a good dad. But if you compare him to a holy God, he's not like that. This may be shocking, but it's biblical. You say, you don't believe me? Look at verse 13 up there. Start reading verse 13 aloud together. Read it. If you then, huh? Huh? What did it say? He, he, evil. Is it saying that I'm evil compared to Hitler? No. But am I evil compared to God? Hmm. Wow. That's shocking, isn't it, right? So if, if a dad, like Larry, if you get around Larry Bain, he's going to talk about his granddaughters, right? He delights in them, and he gets them to do stuff, and I think more than not, they get him to do stuff, and... They have the power, right? Larry, you know how to have a good day with them. How much more can your heavenly father answer their need? See, that's the point, right? Isn't that the point? If you know a dad who is able to hear your request and answer you, how much more does your heavenly father know how to answer you? I, I, want, my, I want my brothers and sisters to know your heavenly Father is listening to your needs. Lastly, quickly, lastly, quickly, God intends the whole world to recognize he is worthy of praise and for his people to flourish as a testimony of goodness. That's what he says in those last three verses. Let the heaven and earth praise him. Let, let the seas and everything that's in him. Let everybody praise God. Now, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that the church should be first in praising God. The church should be the ones who praise God the most. The, the church should give the, 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 the biggest praise, the loudest praise, the, 
the sustaining praise. We should be ever in praise. Our gratitude should be famous. Remember I told y'all last week you got to get it in your heart and you got to let it out of your mouth? Who remembers some of those phrases I taught y'all last week? I ain't heard a single one of them. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ha! That's a new one this week. Can you try that one? Ha! Oh, that was real good right down front here. Man. People should wonder like, man, so everything's not going your way, but I hear you're still giving God praise. Tell me about that. When we bummed out about the same old mess they're bummed out, and God's not good enough to us to praise over top of the things we're bummed out about, we're just testifying that we only got the same thing they got. I don't know about y'all, but I got Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo. Somebody's catching on. Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. Amen? Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. (laughs) Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. Now, y'all starting to turn into something else now, see? We working now. Now, you don't nobody want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I got one of the best jobs in this whole community. Don't nobody want to go to work tomorrow. Everybody in here has got problems. We're not... (laughs) We're not trying to say our problems aren't real. Didn't we start this out by saying, hey, God, I'm needy. I'm not telling you to fake it till you make it. Lay that thing out there and praise God too. Some of us so proud we can't ever do either one. We won't be seen on our knees and we won't be heard from our lips. And perhaps this is a condemnation on us. That pride keeps us from the right lament and holds us back from flowing thanksgiving. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. I want to close with this short reading of one of my favorite psalms. (laughs) I talked through the psalms for three years. How many psalms did I say were my favorite psalm? Like of the 150, at least 133 of them, I said, that's my favorite psalm. I don't say that it's become my prayer book, but I'm trying to tell y'all I want it to be my prayer book. I want it to be my prayer book. Uh, Psalm 67 starts off like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Now, do you see what happens? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. I think a lot of commentators really miss this, right? God, be gracious to us that your saving power may be known. It's not necessarily that your provision power will be known. It's not necessarily about, God, make me healthy, wealthy, and wise that people may know you. God does that sometimes. He uses the healthy, the wealthy, and the wise, but he also used the joyful, impoverished. He uses the sickly and the lame. 
who know how to find joy in God despite their circumstances. But what I want you to see is, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let how many? All the peoples praise you. Right? There's something that's supposed to happen in the people of God. And when God's good to us, we're not real quiet about it. And so we magnify praise. Praise magnifies presence. Now, what do I mean by that? That was the title of the sermon. What do I mean? When you got God in you, and when you've seen what God is doing for you, and you praise him, it's not that you're making his name bigger. It's that you're making his name bigger in the sight of people who has his name real, real small. Now, I'll tell you, we got a... So many things I could tell you about in the years of working with My Life Matters. Ask God for a fleet of vans. We got a fleet of vans. I offered zero for every single one of them, and that's how much we pay. We, we've been renting a building in Roxborough, a, a, a 24, 23,000-square-foot building. The rent hasn't changed since day one in December 2005. That's pretty amazing. Now, we complain about things, the roof leaks, blah, 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 but same rent. But meanwhile, meanwhile, the average, the average uh, house rent has gone up like 220% or something in the same time. I tried to look it up, but it was conflicting data. A lot. <laughs> it's gone up a lot. All right. I can't tell you how many times. Just, just, just ask God and, and just sing God's answer over and over again. Do you guys, some of you guys don't know this, but y'all remember how we got this property right here? It was given to us. It was just sitting here dormant, no congregation. They were going to sell it and give all the money to the Baptist Children's Home, which I think is a great idea, actually. We're like, hey, we'll make you guys a deal. Just give it to us, and we'll just praise God. They accepted the offer. Yeah, they said, that's exactly right. The story was the 11 people that were still meeting here said, says, they said our bylaws require us to uh, sell this property and give the money to Baptist Children's Home. I literally said, I'll make you an offer. You change your bylaws. They had a meeting, changed their bylaws, gave us the property. Right. I'm not the guy you want selling things, obviously. Uh, my wife will tell you I'd just soon give it away or sell it. I, I just would, you know. Here's my thing. How would you get your salvation? You might see what I've cooked up here today. You didn't earn it. You didn't righteous your way to it. So if you, if you got nothing, if you're sitting here poor, your body's breaking down, all right? You're wrestling with loneliness. People around you are making bad decisions, and it really breaks your heart. There, there's a litany of things. Your job stinks. Or it's a great job. You just hate it anyway. <laughs> There's a litany of things. You're not getting along with some of your relatives. And Thanksgiving reminded you of that. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm saying get on your knees and say, God, help me. And stand on your feet and say, God, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for the roof over my head. I, I praise you that you provide the food on my table. I'm not saying... Tell a lie about where you are. 
I'm just saying give praise for who you are. Do you know him today? You remember I said, if you never got into that place of desperation, somebody might say, man, it's never me. It was me. I've never seen myself as a sinner who needed rescuing. Hallelujah, today could be your day. Because if you have not cried out for God to rescue you, you're not able to rescue yourself. Great news. He will rescue you. He's able to rescue you. The Bible says that Jesus lived a righteous life, died a sacrificial death to pay for sin. They buried him. And he rose from the grave to defeat death. The work is done. It's just not our work. He has worked. We believe on the one who has worked. His work is accepted by the Father. So when we believe on him, we're accepted because of him. Hey, hallelujah. Though the circumstances are dim, God is good. Do you know him today? Let's pray. God, this is such a good psalm. So good. Father, I'm wrestling with pride. I'm wrestling with bitterness. I'm very often angry about things. I don't even know what I'm angry about. Or sometimes, like, like Casey exhorted us in the beginning, I'm, I'm a grumbler, a complainer. Father, if you were to just bring out the Ten Commandments, I'd, I'd be nailed one through ten. I'm finished. There is in me, of myself, no good thing. I needed you when I first surrendered to you And now I see I need you more than ever. I am poor and I am needy. And I call out to you. Lord Jesus, I believe you have worked for me. And your work counts for me. Simply because I take you at your word and trust you. Father, encourage our people today. Whether they're wrestling in some sin or being beaten down by some circumstance, your ear is turned to their cries. Lead us to places of lament and put us on the mountaintop of restoration. We trust you, God. We trust you. Do a work in your people. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.